we all have those haters. You see where I'm going. It's unfair to you. It's unfair to you to compare your feelings of struggle, your feelings of insecurity, your feelings of inadequacy against someone else's pro projection of perfection. It's unfair and it's unrealistic because we all struggle. But if we go there to see what everybody else is doing and to see how everybody else lives, we're going to be disappointed. Because that is just a snapshot. It's a moment. It doesn't tell the pain. It doesn't tell the story. It doesn't tell the struggle. It's just a highlight reel of what we want you to see. We went to see my dad this week. We left on Monday. We came back yesterday. I hadn't been there in three years. It was amazing. We fished. We drove uh, four-wheelers. We drove his fast truck, and we shot guns and all kinds of fun stuff. It was a great trip. And there's pictures of me fishing on Facebook. What you don't see <laughs> is the fact that to go fishing, I wore short socks and long pants, jeans and ankle socks. It's not smart with chiggers. So while you see the happy story of me catching the bass and the catfish, we fed like, four, like 12 people with four fish. It was a really big fish. But it was a great time. But what you don't see right now is I've got over 60 chigger bites on my legs. I stopped counting at 60. They itch and they hurt. I'm not putting that on Facebook. That's ugly. Really, it's ugly to look at. So you have to understand that when we compare somebody's highlight reel to our struggle, we're only setting ourselves up for despair. We're only setting ourselves up for, for more feelings of inadequacy and struggle. So stop it. Look and see what people are doing, but take it with a grain of salt. Nothing is as good as it seems. No marriage is perfect. No life is perfect because we all struggle, and it's okay to struggle. It's understand, understand and embrace that we all have and we all will struggle as long as we live. And this verse, we should just call our theme verse for the series, John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's fill the blank in like I did two weeks ago. In this world, you will struggle. There are going to be moments where you hurt, moments where you don't feel like you're good enough, moments when you fail, moments when you disappoint people, moments when, when, when people disappoint you, and you're going to struggle with those things. I'm going to cover, cover a couple specific areas that we're going to struggle with, and, and I'm going to lead into what Pastor Andrew's going to do next week, but we struggle in different areas and different phases of our life, and when we're, we, we always look ahead. When we struggle, we look ahead for when we think we won't struggle. Who remembers? Who's in middle school right now? One. We only have one in middle school. Paige, I'm sorry, you're in middle school. Because middle school is one of the toughest times you'll ever have in your life. And when you're in middle school and you're in those struggles and you have those, that angst, you're always looking, well, when I'm in high school to get better. I'm, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a no shake. See, we think when, we, when we're in a struggle and, and we, we think about the next phase, well, when I'm in middle school and I'm struggling, when I get to high school, it's all going to be better. No, it's not. We're always going to have something we struggle with. Well, when we're in high school, well, when I get to college, I'm, it'll, all my struggle will be over. College kids, does it get over? No. Because no. we struggle there. I'm struggling because I'm single. When I get married, my struggles are over. 
I like that. That got the biggest laugh of the day. Because when you're single, you only have your own struggles to worry about. When you're getting married and you're bringing two lives and two families and two ways of thinking together, then you have a whole different set of struggles. Somebody's got to put the toilet seat down. Somebody's got to close cabinet doors and pick up clothes and socks, and you got to decide who's doing laundry and dishwasher. That's a whole different set of struggles. You get my point. Every phase of life we're in has its own set of struggles. In this world, you will struggle. The thing is, we're always looking forward to move away from struggle. In this world, we will struggle. I'm on th those areas. How about I struggle when things don't go my way? Yeah. I struggle when things don't go my way. When I don't get the job that I want. When, I, when somebody gets the promotion instead of me that, that doesn't deserve it. I struggle. Or even if they do deserve it, I still wanted it, so I struggle. I'm struggling when my relationship doesn't work out like I think it should. Basically, when I don't get what I want out of a situation, I can struggle. This is what I call situational struggle, struggling. It comes and it goes. It's just based on whatever situation you're in. Don't let that, a negative outcome, don't let something that happens that you don't want, don't let that have a long-term negative effect on who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going. Have your feelings. Jesus had his feelings, didn't he? Feelings of anger, feelings of frustration, feeling of abandonment. He had all, all those feelings. There's a reason why scripture says that we have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he felt everything that we will feel in our lifetime. So have your feelings, acknowledge them. I don't feel good right now. This hurts, this stings, I'm disappointed, I'm struggling right now, but then move on. But then move on because something's coming next. Something is coming next. How about, let's, let's compare Job and Jonah for a minute. Really, really bad things happen to Job. Really bad things happen to Job. The Bible says that Job was perfect. Who's perfect in here today? Yeah, none of us. None of us are perfect. But Job was perfect. And God and Satan were having this conversation, and, Satan, and Satan's, God's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm going around finding who I can destroy. I'm just seeing who I can mess with. And God said, have you considered Job? <laughs> this dude's perfect. He's done nothing wrong. And Satan said, no, because you protect him. You give him everything. He's your favorite because he's perfect, and I can't touch him. And God said, I will remove all my protection from Job's life. You can't kill him. Go have fun. Who's ever felt like God's done that for you? You felt like God's removed all the protection from your life except don't kill him or her? And just hell opens up on you? That's what happened to Job. Job was wealthy. He had crops. He had animals. He had a big family. He was rich. He was a wealthy man. In the course of a short period of time, he lost all of his crops. All of his animals were killed. His kids were killed. His wife turned against him. His friends were like, Job, what did you do to tick God off like this? Because he obviously hates you. And Job knew he hadn't done anything. He knew, I haven't done anything wrong. And what did he say? Naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Once again, proving 
his perfection. In, in Job 23.10, he said, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My favorite part about this scripture is he gives God credit for what's going wrong in his life. It's my favorite part about that. He says, when he has tested me. He doesn't say, when, man, the devil's been on my back this week. The devil really ate me up this week, man. The devil's on me. He's got my number. None of that. He said, when he has tested me. He, he said, when, when, when God's finished with this trial that I'm in, when I'm over this struggle, when I'm past this time in my life, I'm going to come forth as gold. He, even though Satan was doing all this stuff to him, he knew that Satan couldn't come to him without permission from God. Understand that whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever, whatever struggle you find yourself in right now, Satan can't come at you unless he's given permission. And if we can have the attitude that Job had, and sometimes I'm not trying to minimalize stuff because I know struggles can be real, struggles can be hard to deal with. But if we can have the attitude that, that Job did, when God is finished with this trial, when this struggle's over, I'm going to come forth as gold. Jonah just, just received direction he didn't want. He received a word from God that he didn't want to do what God told him to do. So because he had this little attitude where when God told him to go to Nineveh, He's like, I don't want to go there. So what did he do? He took his game and his ball and went somewhere else. What happened to him? He ended up in the belly of a big fish. And finally, after, after repentance, he went and did what God asked him to do. But because he, was in, he didn't do what God asked him to do, he had this, old, this whole different kind of struggle. But, but when, when Job came through his trial, he said, I'm going to come through this, and I'm going to be like gold. And if you don't know, when that trial was over, Job had exactly twice what he had before. Why? Because he was faithful. Why? Because he had the right attitude. Why? Because he never gave up on his relationship and his priorities with God. And he was rewarded for it. So is it really a big deal when I don't get my way? It can feel like it. It can feel like my world is ending, my, my hopes, my dreams are crushed, things aren't working out like I want them to. We, we map things out. One, one of Tristan's favorite sayings is, Dad, I have to have a plan. Even on vacation, he wants to know what's going on. What's our day look like? What's first, second, third, fourth, fifth? Who, who else is like that? Yeah, I'm not. So we do that sometimes. We plan what's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sometimes our maybe second, third steps aren't in God's plan for us. And instead of getting the second post that we hit in our plan, God gives us something else, and it, and it deviates from what we had planned for our life, and, and it, it just completely kicks us sideways. It completely messes us up, and it makes us struggle because we feel like we're not getting what we want. We feel like our plans aren't working out. We feel like things aren't going to be like they need to be. So let me ask you this question. Where does me getting my way stop and me trusting God start? Where does that transaction happen? Because I want my way. I want certain things to happen. I want them to happen in the order that I plan them. But at some point, I've got to understand that his ways aren't my ways, and I can't always see the step after the one I'm taking right now because his plan isn't always revealed to me like that. He doesn't always give us one through five. He gives us one. 
He's like, you do one, then you'll get two. So when, when do my plans and my dreams stop and, and the trust factor with God start? What, see, what we, what we sometimes view when things don't go our way and we don't get what we want, we view that as just a major devastating setback. When if we can step back and see the big picture of what God has done in our life and what God is doing in our life and what he wants to do, we can actually identify that and see that not as a setback, but as a setup for something that's coming. And that's hard to do sometimes. All, all the, the loss that Job struggled with, he endured with great attitude. And he got his two times blessing. So when things don't go your way, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't feel hopeless because if you're walking with Jesus and something doesn't go your way, either it wasn't time or it wasn't right. Pastor Ann and I were talking a couple weeks ago. And we, we've known each other since um, a long time ago, since like 92, before we were both married. And, and we've, we've done ministry a lot together, and we've had dreams and plans and all kinds of stuff. And some of it feels like at times it was just blown away and decimated and would never happen. But if we step back, we were talking about this, and look at the big picture of what God has done and where he's positioned us right now, we can see some vision that God gave us. 10, 15, 20 years ago, have the possibility of happening, but in a better way than it would have happened if we'd gotten our way back then. Does that make sense? Sometimes the plan is the plan, but we're not ready for the plan. And God will give us a glimpse of something. He'll give us a piece of something. And at that point, we have to trust him and hold his hand and let him lead us until it's time for the plan to happen. Just because you don't get your plan right then doesn't mean it's not God's plan. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong to not deserve the plan because God's plan is God's plan. And if you follow him, it will happen. So don't give up when it doesn't happen right now. Don't give up when it feels like a door slams in your face. Just oh, be patient and wait. <laughs> I almost bit my tongue to say be patient because I don't have many of that, much of that. See, I can't even say it correctly. When it comes to patience, I have not been blessed in that capacity. <laughs> so sometimes the waiting thing is the hardest thing that I have to do. But if I understand who's really in control, if I understand who's really setting the big picture up, I can have peace in that. In this world, you will struggle. But take heart. Have peace. Because he's overcome the world. God has a purpose for every single thing that he does. And he is in your wreck. He is in your struggle. And he's not going to leave you where you are. He's not going to leave you frustrated. He's not going to leave you feeling like you failed. He is going to bring you through that. And when he brings you through where you are right now, you will be better than when you started and where you are right now. I promise you, he has purpose in every single thing that he does. So the first thing is when I don't get my way. The second thing is when I want to have a pity party. See, some of y'all are, are, are chuckling right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or you know somebody that you think has a pity party going on or has had one. Or you're, you're giving somebody the elbow. I didn't see any fingers point, so that, that's a good thing. But you know somebody, or, or I see a finger pointing now, or, or you are, have experienced a pity party. No one loves me. No one cares for me. No one understands what I'm going through. Nobody's ever faced what I'm facing right now. 
there's no hope for my situation. I can't change this. This is never going to get better. <laughs> Come on, somebody. This is never going to change. I put up with this for so long. It is never going to change. Who remembers Elijah from the Bible? Elijah had went through something like this. He had been through it. He had preached and preached and preached, and nobody listened. <coughs> then he had a showdown where he proved the prophets of Baal wrong. He called fire straight from heaven. Like he, like he prayed and fire fell from heaven. That's an absolute demonstration of God's power. So you would think that he would be on top of the world. Well, after that, Jezebel threatened to kill him, so he was running for his life, and he hid in a cave. So this man, this prophet of God that had called fire from heaven was hiding in a cave, and he was having a pity party. I'm the only one. No one understands. Nobody gets what I'm going through. He was overwhelmed. He was struggling. He was complaining to God that nobody understood who he was, what was going on. He was all alone, and he actually asked to die. That's a pretty tough spot. Elijah was struggling. In 1 Kings 19, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He had done lots of stuff for God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. they put your prophets to death. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. That's a tough spot to be in. So God spoke to Elijah and told him, he's like, dude, I've got 7,000 more just like you. Seven, you think you're all alone? I got 7,000 more. You're not alone. He said, go find this dude named Elisha. And if you know your Bible story, understand the significance and, and, and the significance of this. In Elijah's toughest struggle, in the moment where he wanted to die, where nobody understood and nobody saw him and there were no other people like him. In the moment where he wanted to die, he hadn't seen his greatest victory yet and his legacy hadn't even been created. Ooh. God said, I've got 7,000 more people just like you. They haven't, they haven't kissed Baal's feet. They haven't, they haven't knelt to him. It's going to be all right, Elijah. Go find this dude named Elisha. And if you know the story of what happened, you may not know. It's okay. Elijah went and found Elisha, and he mentored him. And when he did that, as God took him to heaven, his mantle fell on Elisha, and Elisha did twice as much as Elijah ever did. Elijah hadn't found his Elisha at his darkest point, at his lowest point, in his pity party, when he wanted to die, when he wanted to throw in the towel and say, it's all over, nobody understands, there's nobody like me, nobody's gone through what I'm going through, I'm so incredibly frustrated. Who's ever felt that way? Don't give up. You haven't found your Elisha yet. Don't give up. God's not finished with you. Don't give up. Your legacy has not been created. you know how significant that is? You may feel like it's over. You may feel like your struggles have worn you down. You may feel like your life is wrecked. But I promise you that God is not finished with you. God has purpose for your life. And you haven't found your Elisha yet. Your legacy hasn't been put in motion yet. You've still got somebody to find and somebody to mentor that's going to carry on what God has planted in you. 
So when you find yourself having the feelings of being the only one that nobody understands, that nobody's gone through what you've gone through, that nobody loves you, that people want to kill you and you just want to die. There are people in this room that have had suicidal thoughts. Don't give in to those things. Remember Elijah being chased into a cave. Jezebel wanted to kill him. He had a threat on his life. God said, dude, I've got 7,000 more just like you. I'm about to do something big. Don't give up. Pick yourself up. Go find Elisha. He didn't tell him everything Elisha was going to do. He didn't tell him Elisha was going to be his prodigy. He didn't say Elisha's going to do more than you did. He, he just said, go find Elisha. When God gives you your next step, do it. Take the step. Take the leap of faith. When you struggle at your darkest, at your lowest point, don't give up because, God, your legacy hasn't been created yet. Number three, and this, I'm going to hit this one briefly. When I struggle to make the right decisions, sometimes it's hard to trust. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to love. It's hard to do the right things. Romans 7 says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I struggle sometimes when it feels like every decision I make and every action I take is the wrong one. It's a struggle. Understand that you're not alone there either. We're all in that same boat. That's about all I'm going to say there because next week, Pastor Andrew's going to take this and going to run with it and going to kill it. Understand that you're not alone. We struggle together. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against each other. Our struggle is against the spirit of this world, of this age, that threatens to destroy. What did Satan say to God when he, was, when he asked him about Job? Satan, well, I'm going to see who I can destroy. His daily, hourly, minute-by-minute mission is to destroy you. That's the battle we face. We have a common enemy, and it's not just ourselves. Our enemy wants us to struggle, and he wants things not to go our way, and he wants us to have a pity party, and he wants us to make the wrong decisions. We are, liter we are literally, literally fighting hell every single day, every single moment of every day, but identifying our enemy. Your neighbor is not your enemy. Your marriage is not your enemy. Your job is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Don't pray against your boss. Don't pray against your job. Don't pray against your spouse. Pray against Satan. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual powers and authority in this world. And that's what controls the people that frustrate you. That's what controls the situation that makes us struggle. We're all fighting the same fight. And identifying our enemy and, and helping us know what to pray makes a huge difference. We will struggle. It's not gonna, we're not going to stop struggling. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, they're called the prison epistles. Books of the New Testament. Who wrote them? Paul wrote them. Why are they called the prison epistles? Because he was in prison when he wrote them. Talk about struggle. Talk about pain. Talk about inconvenience. He was in prison when he wrote those things, but he didn't give up. What was the, the funny thing is, Paul was in prison, and the theme of Philippians is joy. Talk about being able to detach yourself from your struggle, because you can't have joy in prison. 
You can't really be happy in prison. The struggle was real, but Paul didn't let, him, let that get him down. Sometimes we got to go through the tough part to get to the good part. Who likes to eat crabs? Yeah, hands shot up all over the place. That is the most work for the smallest amount of meat that you will ever do in your life. You can pick a crab for five minutes for two bites. I mean, two good bites. You can say a little piece of crab this big as a bite, but it's not. It's a taste. You can pick a crab for five minutes and have like a third of a cup of meat, if that much. That's the mo you, you have to go through the pain, literally sometimes getting your finger poked and bleeding. And then you're bleeding in your crab meat. You have to go through... You have to go through the tough part to get to the good part. Tootsie Roll Pops. Who is impatient and doesn't get through the outer part and get to the Tootsie Roll? You just eat the whole thing. Yeah. There you go. Sometimes we have to go through that tough part to get to the good part. A lot of our struggling is connected to how we handle diversity. A lot of our struggling is, is connected to how we handle adversity. We can make a bigger deal out of things than they really are just because we want to have a pity party or we want to pout because we didn't get our way. What would we likely not have if Paul hadn't experienced adversity like he did? Struggling and having to write his messages instead of speak them to somebody. I just want to give you a few quotes. The first one is the most important, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Come on, y'all. That was funny. That's clearly not the most important passage that Paul wrote in those books. But Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Come on now. It's Father's Day. We like that verse. So that whole chapter on relationship between husbands and wives and how we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved us, that came from prison. Right. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, came from prison. It came from pain. It came from adversity. Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God. Does that even make sense? The dude is in prison. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. came from prison. It came from struggle. It came from pain. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He's in prison. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's no pity party there. It's somebody looking forward. This struggle is temporary. It's not going to last. There's something better coming. I haven't found my Elisha yet. Do you think Paul had any idea that what he was writing would affect thousands of years? We're talking about in the early ADs when this stuff was written. Almost 2,000 years ago. And we're still drawing strength from I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The next time can't pops up in your head, say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It will change your outlook. My wife is so good at this. I'm not good at it so much. But anytime for our kids' entire life, when they say, I can't do this, it's too hard. She says, say it. That's all she has to say. And they know they have to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
It's about attitude. It's about your mentality. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. When our mind changes, when our mindset changes, when we realize that our struggle is temporary, that we haven't found our Elisha yet, that we, we may have to write something from prison from the middle of a struggle, but when we go through that and we experience that, God does something special to us. That's just three, three or four verses in, in, from those books, and we can go through, we could probably pick out 100, 150. You get the point. Paul gave us incredible wisdom from prison. <laughs> 